Hello, everyone. Welcome to Eternity, where love never fails. Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening. This is the Eternity Bible Study Podcast, where we walk through the Bible together every weekday, Monday through Friday. We're podcasting from here in the United States and in Zambia with a goal to share our thoughts and encourage one another as we read God's Word together, verse by verse. My co-host in Zambia, Matali, and I are both listening to Through the Bible Podcast and then sharing our thoughts and encouragement with you from America to Africa and everywhere else. God is in control. As always, our attribution goes to Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. So if you've ever wanted to try to read the Bible every day, we hope you can join us. We're regular people just like you, trying to learn more about God and walk in step with His Holy Spirit. So if you have your Bible, feel free to read along, and if not, we'll put it all together for you. So let's get started. And just on a personal note, It's been such a great pleasure to go through this book of Isaiah with you. What an amazing book. I've I've never had the time to read the whole thing uh, all the way through like this. And it's just amazing what we find just packed in Isaiah. I think so many uh, New Testament uh, references, so many references in the New Testament draw back on Isaiah. Jesus Christ, as we said quoted Isaiah so many times, and even when he started his ministry, he was quoting uh, the book of Isaiah. And, you know, the I, Isaiah talks uh, even about Jesus Christ being on the cross, what was going through his mind, what was going through his heart, what the Father was going through when his Son was on the cross. We see a picture of Jesus Christ from the inside out. We see a picture of Jesus Christ's heart that we don't even see uh, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the traditional books that we we think of to describe Jesus Christ. And we see so many prophecies about Jesus Christ coming. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they, they, um, they lean back on Isaiah when they talk about Jesus coming. And then um, we see forward prophecy that has even happened for us when, when, when the when this is prophesying the return of Jesus Christ, okay? So we can sort of in time look back to the prophecies of Isaiah that predate Jesus' arrival, and we can appreciate those prophecies. And then we're sort of like in the middle of two big mountains. We can look back and see the first big mountain, Jesus Christ's first coming. And then we can sort of turn over here and look at the at this other mountain top. You know, this is the second coming of Jesus Christ. So we can really appreciate the validity of the book of Isaiah at this point in history, that we're, we're in between these things. And looking forward, I must confess that there's so much forward-looking uh, prophecy. I can't claim to be um, an expert to interpret all this prophecy. What I can do walking through this with you is be is just be... It's just to appreciate this prophecy and to um, bring it to light. And, um, and uh, of course, the natural question I think that I would have, just as anybody else has, you might have too, in reading this is like, could you just lay it all out and just tell me exactly what's going to happen? And that's, that's beyond my ability uh, in this point in my study. 
but I want to just say that I'll walk through it with you and just appreciate uh, what this prophecy means to encourage us to keep our eyes focused on Christ, to keep our eyes uh, and our hearts centered on Christ. Because as we see, the whole nation through all of this has um, struggled. Uh, the whole nation of Israel has struggled to keep their hearts and mind and eyes and ears centered on Christ and God's will and God's way and God's word. And so look at what happened when we look back at this nation. And time and time again, God has to throw man out of his garden, you know, Adam and Eve out of the garden. Then he has to throw man out of the next garden, which is the promised land. He set them and he promised them this land. It would be like a land of milk and honey. And of course, that was never realized uh, because the people could not keep their hearts centered on Christ, their minds centered on Christ, their eyes centered on Christ, you know, meaning God's ways. And so... um that God's ways were then manifested in the flesh, which is Jesus Christ. So God, in the middle of all this, continues to try to draw and seek out men and women who want to follow him. He wants to draw the people to him, and he wants to dwell with them, and he comes to them to try to to bring them to him. Of course, he can't, he can't uh, reclaim a lot of the wicked. And, of course, he has to clean the garden out. And that's where the prophecy of Isaiah talks about the Assyrians coming into the northern kingdom and the Babylonians coming in and crushing the southern kingdom. God uses other peoples, uh, other nations at this point to tend his garden. And, of course, then he will judge the wicked. He will judge even those people who are harsh to his people. So all through Isaiah, we see this promise of what's, you know, a promise of um, saving um, those who believe. And is, it's referred to as this remnant, the remnant of the nation of Israel. And then also the people who are not in the nation of Israel, there will be this other remnant, this, or this, I mean, this other group of people uh, that will be grafted in. And this is this gospel message to all of the, the Gentile peoples, uh, not just of the area, but all the world. So Isaiah, again, is truly an international prophet. God is an international God. There is, there is no people he is not trying to draw to him. And so his message, even though his message, the gospel message, was not even received by the Jewish nation. He's actually, as we see with Paul, he is using the Gentiles to carry on his message, even though the his chosen people, the Jewish people, never truly um, acknowledged him. They don't, they don't seem to have any more problems with worship of idols. You don't see idol worship anymore, even today, in the Jewish nation. But they just never accept his word. And that, um, so we, we see a little bit of, through Isaiah, of his intention to be, to call all other nations of the world to him to, um, to carry on his word. And then these other nations will help finally his own people see him. And so, uh, here we are. We're putting in, um, at chapter, we're supposed to put in around chapter, um, 
65 verse 3, but I'm I just I'm going to restart at 65 verse 1 because there're just a couple of verses. And then I'm going to move through and hit the high points of chapter 65 and 66, and this will conclude our study of Isaiah. And today being Friday, the next time we get together Monday, we will start back in the New Testament and we'll start 1 Thessalonians. And I'm really excited about 1 Thessalonians to, to, because 1 Thessalonians also mentions the return of Jesus Christ. So it's going to tie right in to um, the return of Jesus Christ that we're talking about here in Isaiah. So this is going to be really, really cool as we walk through this. So I hope uh, you guys are just as excited as, as I am. So um, let's pick up here in Isaiah chapter 65, verse 1. I was ready to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. Okay, so this is God answering uh, Isaiah praying on behalf of the whole nation and um, uh, praying kind of uh, this acknowledgement that God is in control, that man's condition is so frail, uh, so unclean, and just a, a like a wisp in the wind or a, a dry faded leaf in the wind. Um, so God is answering man now, and he is saying, look, um, you asked these questions for me. So much um, of your sin had to be dealt with, but from my perspective, um, I am ready for those who really want to seek me. Those who are the wicked and who, who um, reject me, I will, ha- I will reject because you cannot be in my presence. And the presence of God has been something that has um, eluded the whole nation of Israel uh, from, the, from the creation of man. You know, man's sin, as we said earlier, uh, mandated uh, that um, man could not be in God's presence. From Adam and Eve to the nation of Israel uh, to um, this remnant he's talking about now. So God is saying, I've been ready to be sought by those who did not uh, seek for me. I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. He said, here I am, here I am, a nation that was not called by my name. So he's speaking now to the Gentiles. This is God's answer. And so a nation was not called by my name. He's ready to be um, found by those who didn't even seek him. So this is an answer to, to, to God's answer to man. And so he's answering first to the Gentiles. Then in verse 2, I spread out my hands all the day to a rebellious people. Um, who walk in a way that is not good, following their own devices. So now he's saying, I spread out my hands to a rebellious people. He's talking to his own people, to the Jewish people, to people who walk in a way that is not good, following their own devices. In other words, they should know better. They've been entrusted with the word, okay? But they don't even put that word into practice. Who's better? Neither one are better. They're both sinners, the, the uh, Gentiles and the Jewish people. But one is sinning with really no knowledge of, of, uh, of God. And then the others are sinning uh, with knowledge of God. 
Verse 3, a people who provoke me to my face continually, sacrificing in gardens or making offerings on bricks. You know, like they're going to like they're going to build themselves up or they're going to have pride. You know, they're just provoking me to my face, to my face. You know, they they build these great temples and and, uh, you know, have these, you know, offerings on all these fancy, you know, uh, altars and things on bricks. But their but their heart don't don't even acknowledge him. And they continue to 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 live in sin and their heart. God knows men's hearts. So this just does nothing but provoke God. Isn't that that kind of like some of us today? You know, think about it. We're no better than these people just because we're living, uh, you know, in more of a futuristic age than they do. We're no better than them because everybody, all of us have Bibles. It's almost like we're like uh, the... You know how God expected so much of the Jewish people because he gave them their word, you know, and they had their word. They took that word for granted and they would sacrifice, you know, animals on these fancy temples. But it's like we have his word today, too. We all have Bibles. You know, it's, it's the most popular book ever printed. And you can you can go to most any hotel, find a free copy. You can download a free copy on your iPhone or on your smartphone. You can you can buy Bibles everywhere. They're just everywhere for many places. Now, some places in the world don't have Bibles. You, take, you can't take that for granted. But if you have a Bible, you have the Word of God right at your fingertips. So I wonder how much God expects us to, to handle that word properly and to let that word change us properly if we have the word of God. We've been given the word of God, even if you don't have a Bible, you've been given the word of God in the fact that Jesus Christ came to this earth. And even if you don't have a Bible, all you have to do is place your faith in Jesus Christ. McGee says over and over, it's faith in Christ plus nothing else. You may not have a Bible, but Jesus Christ is the Word of God personified. He's the Word of God in the flesh. That's a gift to everyone. So you have you have something that's even better than the Bible. But I always, you know, when I, as I read this, it's almost like how much more does the Father in Heaven expect for us when we've been given the Word, when we have the Word right with us, but we're not allowing ourselves to be changed by that Word. Look what he thought about the, you know, his nation. He expected so much more from them. I wonder if he expects so much more from me and you if we have our Bible and we're trying to read it. We should try to read it. We have his word. And that's what that's the neat thing about our Bible study going through things. And I'm just hoping you're feeling good about it too. But how how terrible it is to have have a Bible sitting on the on the bookcase up there and you're not trying to read it. You're not trying to go after it and learn from it so that you can be changed by it. Your heart can be changed by it. The Holy Spirit can, can start living in you and setting up shop in you <clears throat> and letting your whole whole demeanor be changed by it. Little by little. Or big by big. Okay? So uh, just sort of looking back uh, as as this relates to us today too. Verse 5, Who say, Keep yourself, do not come near me, for I am too holy for you. 
You know, that was the Jewish people at that time. You know, they were trying to say, oh, I'm better than you because I've sacrificed more, more animals. So don't come near me. Verse 6, Behold, it's written before me, I will not keep silent, but I will repay. I will indeed repay into their lap both your iniquities and your father's iniquities together, says the Lord. Okay? He says, I will repay all the injustice that um, come from the hearts of men. Don't don't uh, even think that, you know, all the wickedness, and the unspoken sins, the sins you don't acknowledge, they will be repaid. And uh, notice how a parent can shape a child's life. Okay? Your iniquities and your father's iniquities. If you bring your child up, not letting them see how God can change your life, then why should you expect them to grow up And, and appreciate that God can change their life too when they haven't seen how much God can change your life. How convicting is that? How convicting is that to me? How convicting is that, I hope, for all of us? Children have to see God's effect in the life of the parents and God cannot be second place to the television. And God cannot be second place to the, to the internet. And God cannot be second place to all the um, smartphone apps and computer games and all the things that compete with our children's uh, attention span. And if the parent is just as addicted to these behaviors, behaviors that put your own self first, and just a generation of feeling entitled to being entertained or to, you know, not seeking God first. But otherwise feeling good about yourself. You know, that, that sweet spot of life where, you know, you feel like you're a good person, but you don't want to be too religious or too wicked. You want to be just kind of in the middle and go through it. Your heart's not on on Christ, if it's not changing your life, if your life isn't being changed by Christ, it's being changed by something else. It's being changed by something in the world. It's being changed, it's being molded every day, and you don't even know it. But if you're studying the Word of God, Word of God can be changing you every day, and you might not even know it either. So you've got to keep your eyes focused on Christ, your mind focused on Christ. You've got to let your ears listen what Christ is saying rather than what your itching ears want to hear. Okay? Um, very important and also just uh, very important as it pertains to parents who need so... Um, it's like the... It's, like, it's a big responsibility. You know, just like the, the faithful servant that we are given things to take care of the master gives the faithful servant things to take care of. We should not um, take for granted those things that that um, that God gives us, that God gives us responsibility over. And we even see that in um, you know Matthew twenty five, the parable of the talents. You know, and he gives. Um, Basically, you know, he gives talents to servants 
and then he goes away, and then he comes back, and then he asks each servant. I'm reading really, I'm sort of paraphrasing Matthew 25, starting in verse 14. He comes back, and he asks each uh, of his servants, you know, what'd you do with the talents I gave you? And then one said, hey, you know, I invested it, and, you know, I produced more for you. And he goes down the road and then, you know, goes down the different um, servants. And then he gets sort of to the end and he got he has this faithless servant who was lazy and who was wicked and who did not put his talents to work. And he basically buried the talents in the ground. OK. And then um, he um, he told that uh, faithless, wicked, slothful. He uses those words. um you know, to just leave his presence. He uh, cast the worthless servant into outer darkness in a place that will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's what he's saying the kingdom of heaven is like. You know, what's the talent? Is it money? Does he give you money? I mean, that's the parable. We can all relate to talent. We can all re- Talent was a form of money. We can all sort of relate to that. But I think the, the spiritual lesson is, is what do we do with what God gives us? You know, well, I don't have very much. You know, there's richer people than me if I had more stuff. No, God has given you a talent and me a talent that's priceless. What's that thing he's given us? It's the Word of God. It's the Word of God that He gives us all. And, oh, well, I didn't get the Word of God. Well, you got Him in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the Word of God. The Word became flesh, right? John chapter 1, the Word word was with God. The Word was God. The Word became flesh. So everybody has the Word of God. And it's a free gift. It's this free gift of your salvation. Jesus Christ did it all. You didn't have to do anything. All you have to do is believe. Believe what the Master wants you to do. So don't be like the, the, that slothful servant that does nothing with the Word. Be changed by it. Verse 8, Thus says the Lord, As the new wine, as the new wine is found in the cluster, we're again talking about um, what are we doing with these grapes here? We've been uh, looking at this analogy for the last few chapters, but now in this wine press, new wine is found in the cluster, and they say, do not destroy it, for there's a blessing in it, okay? So I, so I will do for my servants' sake and not destroy them all, okay? It's just like, and he's trying to do an analogy that that uh, sort of a pictorial metaphor that people can understand he's he's uh, going through the grapes he's looking at the the grapes they've collected and they found a cluster of grapes that are really good okay and maybe we shouldn't throw these away and he's saying okay i'm not going to throw these grapes away and it's the same thing with the remnant in israel there's going to be still in this big bucket of those who don't believe there's going to be some who who are keeping his ways. So he's not going to destroy them all. And again, this this, uh, promise, this covenant he made that he will save a remnant of Israel out of this wicked batch. He will continue to preserve this remnant so that his kingdom, so that he will be able to complete his promise of establishing his kingdom which was in his land, in his promised land, okay, that this final promise will, will, will finally bring peace on earth, 
Okay? This promised land that he promised the nation of Israel when they came out of Egypt, this promised land that he promised them from the very beginning where Moses was trying to lead them into the promised land. This whole promise um, has not been fulfilled yet. I mean, there's a nation there, but they don't have peace, do they? <laughs> there's this nation this this uh this the Jerusalem has been destroyed I think McGee was saying 23 or 27 times has been burnt that many times no other capital city in history has been attacked and conquered and taken into captivity all over the place uh has been just hated by people all over the world you see anti-semitism again on the rise people hating the nation of Israel and it's like the only way the nation of Israel is ever going to get peace, just like the only way all of mankind's ever going to get peace, is Jesus Christ. There is no peace on earth for the wicked. And we've seen that theme over and over in Isaiah as well. Verse 9, I will bring forth offspring from Jacob and from Judah, possessors of my mountains. My chosen shall possess it, and my servants shall dwell there. Okay? So this offspring from Jacob could refer to the remnant, you know, of the nation of Israel. Um, or this offspring from Jacob could refer to Christ. Christ would be an offspring too. But just keeping in the answer to this prayer, you know, it's, you know, you we're... We're sort of dwelling on this theme of this remnant nation finally coming um, back, you know. Now, the remnant nation of Israel has also been described as the bridegroom. And Jesus Christ was the bride. And that's, it's not like you're going to marry the nation, but it's like another analogy, just like we were talking about the grapes. But it's another analogy of how deeply the Lord Jesus Christ loves his people. Okay? Just like a shepherd analogy, how he loves the sheep, that he would lay down his life for the sheep. Just like the bridegroom would lay down his life. I mean the the bridegroom was laid down his life for the bridegroom. Okay? What a picture of love. Sharon shall become a pasture for flocks, and the valley of Achor a place for the herds to lie down, for my people who have sought me. Okay, so this is the remnant people who are seeking Christ. This is, again, this promise of peace, and this promise of peace on this land for God's remnant. Verse 11, but... You for you who forsake the Lord, who forget my holy mountain, who set a table for fortune and fill cups of mixed wine for destiny, I will destine you to the sword. And all of you shall bow down to the slaughter. Because when I called, you did not answer. When I spoke, you did not listen. But you did what was evil in my eyes and chose what I did not delight in. And I believe uh, these references to a table of fortune and fill cups of wine mix for destiny, fortune and destiny, I think my Bible uh, study guide is telling me that these are pagan rituals uh, invoking good luck. Okay? God's people don't need good luck. God's people need God. And so 
Again, God knows men's hearts. He knows what they're trying to do. And again, those who reject God, those who are wicked, and those who are following the devices of their own minds, and it's not hard to see who does that even today. God says, they're not, they're doing evil in my eyes and choosing what I don't delight in for them to do. Very, you know, all you got to do is look around today. It's not, like I said, it's not hard to see who's following God's way, who's following their own way. Why is that so easy? Because we got the Word of God right here. All we have to do is read the Word of God and keep the Word of God in our hearts. And then we'll know. It's not like this is an ambiguous message. We'll drop down to verse 44. Behold, my servants shall sing for gladness of heart, but you shall cry out for pain of heart, shall wail for breaking of spirit. Okay, so there's a contrast between the servants will be singing gladness and joy. Why? Because they know God. But the people who don't know God will be crying out in pain of heart and shall wail for a breaking of spirit. And when you you think, well, you know, uh, you see so many people walking around today and they don't really follow God's ways and they're not really singing the blues. They're living it up. They're having a great time and they're having glad hearts, you know. And it seems like sometimes the people who are trying to trust God um, aren't singing as loud as they should. But number one, they should still sing as loud as they, as they should. Why? Because you can't let your circumstances dictate what your faith is. Your faith has to be uh, in Jesus Christ and nothing else. So if you're, not, if you're not joyful in your heart today and you have Jesus Christ already or you claim you have Jesus Christ already, check your heart, check your eyes because you're probably still centered on yourself or not getting something that you want and that's affecting your own joy and happiness. Okay? But eventually, those who don't have the Lord... It all comes down to they'll in the end they will um, they they don't have anything and it's so amazing when you see somebody dying of a, a disease or cancer or some medical condition and those who don't have the Lord it's almost like there's a hollowness about them they just they don't have anything else to put their faith in they don't have anything else to 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 talk about and there's probably something deep down inside knowing their time to die is here and they don't have they don't have a promise they don't have um something to hold on to because all the bank accounts all the medicines all the doctors all the hospitals all the family members in the end you're by yourself and you have a broken spirit. Verse 17, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. So this is this new promise now. He's bringing it. He's bringing this promise again. He's telling them again, I am going to fulfill my original promise to you. But be glad and rejoice forever. Verse 18, In that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. 
I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. Okay, so this is this covenant. This is this promise of God. Okay, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is his will. That there's going to be eventually a new heaven and a new earth. And this promised land is going to be recreated. And the former things aren't even going to be remembered or come into mind when you see what's coming. And his people are going to be a glad people, a rejoicing people, a happy people. In which he creates in this new Jerusalem, this new heaven, this new earth. He create, I create a Jerusalem to be a joy. Right now, you look at Jerusalem, it's not joyful. I mean, you know, they have this big famous wall in Jerusalem that everybody makes this pilgrimage to. What's the pilgrimage place? The Wailing Wall. Can you imagine? I mean, it is so biblical here, but even now they call it the Wailing Wall. People can go to wail there. And uh, so many people that go to this wall, it's not a joyful wall. It's a very solemn, somber place, right? This is what McGee is describing to us, you know, in, in the study. But when Christ returns and there's going to be a new Jerusalem, a new heaven, a new earth, this, there's not going to be wailing and somberness anymore. It's going to be happiness, gladness. Verse 20, no more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. This is, you're not going to have death prematurely hitting people. For the young man shall die a hundred years old and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inherit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. There's going to be stability. They shall not plant and another eat. Now, this is a, a section that this, these verses um, mention that, you know, the young man shall die 100 years old. You know, so that it's mentioning death here. You know, so I think um, I don't claim to be uh, um, the scholar to explain it all out, but I think in my um, brief uh, prep here uh, for this uh, study is that um, this is probably not um, the actual new heaven and new earth that um, sort of this eternal state yet where um, it's the final version here. Uh, some have, have um, said that this is sort of a millennial period where Jesus Christ has returned and is reestablishing things, uh, and life is going to change. Life is going to change, and there's stability. Uh, people are still looking like they're still building houses, and they're still planning things. And uh, and it's hard to believe, it's hard to really start imagining what this is like, you know, because I think sometimes, in at least in my own life in the Christian church, you know, when we see Jesus Christ coming, then boom, everything's different. But um, this period of when Jesus is reestablishing His church on earth, um, it's it seems to be uh, describing what what many of our just have. Have mentioned is this millennial period of 
I've seen it said a thousand years, and then you get this true new heaven and new earth. So um, this, I believe, is called the premillennial view of things, where you have this tribulation period where the earth is in turmoil. Then you have this return of Christ to sort of stop all that tribulation uh, going on. And then you have this period of time where Jesus Christ is um, preparing, if you will, for this new heaven to, to, to come and uh, preparing for uh, the, the bridegroom to come. It's like, uh, because the new heaven is going to be um, like a new bride for the bridegroom. So the new heaven and new earth would be like a new bride coming. So again, this is sort of an, a picture of that possibly. Um, and again, it's not out of our realm of, of what we can imagine to say that when Jesus Christ uh, comes, he'll live with people for a while. You know, just like he was here living yeah, the first time around, he was living and people were still building houses and planting vineyards and he was there teaching. He was there, he was there turning hearts to him. And uh, perhaps that this is when he comes, he's going to be here uh, to set up his kingdom, to reestablish his kingdom um, and um, to deal with um, not only the sin, but... Um, to prepare the way. Maybe that's what this is describing, but but when it says, when it's talking about death, I don't think we should look at it as a contradiction in Scripture. Um, perhaps this is giving us a, a more of a picture of, of what this will look like. But it's going to change behavior, that's for sure. That is for sure. Um, down in 23, they shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before I, before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. So in other words, these people, he's living around. He's going to know exactly what they want, exactly what they need, even before they say it. And the wolf and the lamb shall gaze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. So even the animal's behavior is going to change. So um, this is part of God's answer for this new heaven and this new earth. Okay, And the former days won't be remembered. Okay, so um, verse 66, I mean, excuse me, chapter 66, thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? You know, God's saying, look, I don't need a house. I don't need a chapel. I don't need a church building. What I need is you. You know, I want to dwell in your hearts. That's what he's been saying all along. Verse 2, all these things my hand is made. And so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. He made the whole world, the earth, the universe. Why do you think I'm going to need a house? But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite or meek in spirit and trembles at my word. That's the person again. He's going back. He's going back to say, uh, he's kind of looking back a little bit. These are the people 
that I'm going to be looking for. I want to draw them near to me. That's my will. And my kingdom has come and my will has been done on earth as it is in heaven. Verse 3, he who slaughters an ox is like one who kills a man. He who sacrifices his lamb is like one who breaks a dog's neck. Okay, so in other words, I don't need any more sacrifices, okay, of an animal. That's not going to make you any holier or holy at all in my eyes. I've already done all that. So all of that now is past. The Old Testament law is over. Verse 5, hear the word of the Lord, you who tremble at his word, your brothers who hate you and cast out and cast you out for my name's sake have said, let the Lord be glorified that we may see your glory, but it is they who shall be put to shame. So in other words, the people who are not following God's word, who don't, who just take it for granted, they will eventually be put to shame. They're going to be judged. At the sound of an uproar from the city, verse 6, a sound from the temple, the sound of the Lord rendering recompense to his enemies. Okay? So the Lord will judge those when he comes back. Now, I'm not sure how all this fits in right now um, to tell you, but he is coming back and he's dealing with, uh, there's, there's people still going to be living they're going to have longer, longer lives, apparently, and things are going to be a lot better. And he's going to be dealing with a lot of sin uh, in some way. Um, verse 7, before she was in labor, she gave birth. Before her pain came upon her, she delivered a son. He's saying that doesn't make sense. Before she was before she was in labor, she gave birth, and before her pains came a delivered son. You know who's heard such these things? That such such a thing? Who has seen such things? This is verse eight. Shall a land be born in one day? Shall a nation be brought forth in one moment? He's sort of asking rhetorical questions here. Nobody's heard that you deliver a baby before the labor pains. You know, for as soon as Zion was in labor, she brought forth her children. Have you heard about this? And he's, I think he's trying to answer this question in, in verse nine here. Shall I bring to the point of, shall I bring to the point of birth and not cause to bring forth? So Zion went into labor and then she brought her children. And he's saying, should I bring Zion, maybe delivering the children, maybe this is the new Jerusalem. Shall I bring Zion to the point of birth and not cause to bring forth, says the Lord? Shall I, uh, shall I who cause to bring forth shut the womb, says your God? He says, I, I think he's ans- ask, answering the rhetorical questions. He says, no. Verse 10, rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad for her. He's comparing her now to uh, a woman. All you love her, rejoice with her in joy for uh, all you who are mourn over her, that you may nurse and be satisfied from her uh, consoling breast, that you may drink deeply with delight from her glorious abundance. So this is what's coming out of Jerusalem. It's like this. Now we're talking about an, an analogy to, to giving birth. And it's almost like Jerusalem now is this mother who births a child after these labor pains. 
And maybe some are causing these labor pains, all this history that she's been through. Or some people are referring to it as this great tribulation, this great period before uh, Jesus Christ comes. You know, this this um, almost like labor pains for the whole earth because the earth goes into this turmoil period that it talks about. So God's saying now, almost the time of, of birth, you know, I, I should not, uh, you know, Close the womb. I mean, she, the, this is, mother's gone through these labor pains. It's time to, 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 to give birth. And then those who are born can rejoice in joy. You know, this, this new heaven, this new earth that is going to be born here. Okay? And so we're sort of foretelling another birth here, another glorious birth, just like gl- Jesus' birth was gloriously foretold. Now we are foretelling of another birth, and this is the birth of this new earth, this new kingdom. Um, So, um, verse 12, For thus says the Lord, Behold, I I will extend peace to her like a river. Um, So peace is going to be born too, and the glory of nations like an overflowing stream. And you shall nurse, and you shall be carried upon her hip, and bounced upon her knees." All the nations are going to be like little children, okay? And as one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. Jesus is now saying, you know, Jesus Christ, as he reestablishes his kingdom on earth, he's going to comfort all these nations. You shall see and your heart shall rejoice and your bones shall flourish like the grass and the hand of the Lord shall be known to his servants and he shall show his indignation against his enemies. So again, when he's when this new Jerusalem is going to be born, you know, there's still going to be people who are his enemies. So again, he has not judged um everybody just yet, but it's almost like he was when he was here the first time. He was here, and he's bringing his blessings, just like he did all these miracles and all these blessings, and he's drawing, he's still drawing people to him. But he still permitted his enemies to uh, reject him, apparently. And so there's probably uh, his enemies are still around, Verse 15, then we're talking about final judgment time. For behold, the Lord will come in fire and his chariots like the whirlwind to render his anger in fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. For by fire will the Lord enter into judgment and by his sword with all the flesh and those slain by the Lord shall be many. Okay, so now it's looking to this role of judgment here. So we're getting this birth, you know, the labor pains here. Um, Zion, you know, is is sort of pictured as a mother. We're birthing this new uh, nation, you know, or this new heaven, new earth. Um, Or this new Jerusalem, maybe. Maybe that's that's the, the proper reference. So to this new Jerusalem and all these nations come to this new Jerusalem. And the Lord is dwelling among them. And then the Lord will start judging the world. Verse 17, those who sanctify and purify themselves to go into the gardens, following one in the midst, eating pig's flesh in in the abomination, and mice shall come to an end. 
together, declares the Lord. They try to sanctify and purify themselves by doing things. You know, they, they think they're going to get, get ahead without acknowledgement of the Lord Jesus. They'll all meet their end together. In verse 18, for I know their works and their thoughts. God knows our, our hearts and what we do with our mind and our hands. And the time is coming to gather all nations and tongues, and they shall come and see my glory, and I will set a sign among them, and from them I will send survivors to the nations, to Tarshish, Pul, and Lud. These are obviously countries uh, who draw to the bow, to Tabal, and to Java, and to the coastlands far away, that have not heard my fame or seen my glory, and they shall declare my glory among the nations. So again, this is the time that is coming and that all these nations are going to, to see that he is here. They will set this sign among them and they shall bring all your brothers from all the nations as an offering to the Lord on horses and chariots and in the litters and on mules and on dormitories to my, mount, my holy mountain in Jerusalem, says the Lord, just as the Israelites will bring their grain offering in a clean vessel to the house of the Lord. And some of them... I will also take for priests and for Levites, says the Lord. For as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain. So this new heaven, this new earth that he is bringing into the world, like he brought in this new Jerusalem, is going to remain forever. And those offspring and your name remain. Now, offspring, um, I, I can't claim to know how that word translates. I don't know it's talking about a physical offspring, like people still have babies at this time, or this offspring uh, in terms of spiritual offspring. Um, so again, that's ab above my understanding here, but what I'm... I think we should dwell on is the fact that there is going to be um, this new bride here for the new bridegroom. And we kind of see that um, in if we go over just really quickly to uh, Revelation chapter 21. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. So it's it's talking about this new heaven and the new earth that Isaiah was talking about. Okay, And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So again, this remember how we were studying Song of Solomon? It was like the bride and the bridegroom analogy almost the whole way through. And the nation of Israel was this, was this, was this unfaithful bride. And then the bridegroom loved the bride so much he, he was committing himself to laying down his life for the bride so that he could redeem his bride. And so this new bride analogy is taken right back up here in Isaiah. And then it's also in Revelation. 
This new Jerusalem coming down like a new bride out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I heard a loud voice from a throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Analogy to this new bride. And then the last book of Revelation, the last book in the Bible, what do you think it's talking about? Verse 17, The Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let the one who hears say, Come, and let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Verse 20, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. That's that. That is exactly what the bride in Song of Solomon was singing about. She wants her bridegroom to come soon. That's what it's talking about here in Revelations, the last book. And that's what we're seeing in Isaiah 22. There's this new bride coming for the bridegroom. From new moon to new moon, from Sabbath to Sabbath, all flesh shall come to worship before me, declares the Lord. Okay, so that's a picture of the holy people for all eternity worshiping the Lord. Verse 24, and they shall go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me, for their worms shall not die, their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. This is a sober picture of the wicked. They'll never have peace. The wicked will never have peace. That prophecy will always be true through, throughout all eternity. The wicked won't ever have peace because they won't ever have the presence of the Lord. And as McGee says, you can envision that any way you want to. I don't have a good picture of how that's going to look. You've got this new uh, Jerusalem coming down, and then this um, somewhere else, there's going to be all these dead bodies. I don't understand how that that picture in my mind looks, but it is a it is a spiritual picture, nevertheless, for us to understand that the final um, verdict of God's will is to dwell with his people among them, wiping away all sorrow, all anxiety, all depression, all death, and dwell in a new heaven with a new earth. So, um, I hope this study of Isaiah has been inspiring to you. It's just been a powerful book. I mean, it's almost like we have you could study so much of just Isaiah to under to try to get your hands around it but it's been awesome to walk through it with you i'm really looking forward to dwelling on some of these verses and sort of trying to re go back and read a little bit more to try to put all this together because there's so much in here and i'll never read the new testament again like especially Matthew Mark Luke and John without thinking about Isaiah because man Isaiah has been called the fifth apostle you know, 
about how much he is describing his knowledge of Jesus Christ through this prophecy. So for me to all of you, God bless you. I'll see you next time next week as we begin our um, our study of First Thessalonians. That's going to be really cool too. So now I'll turn the rest of the podcast over to my co-host in Zambia, Matali. Matali, hope you're doing great. And I can't wait to hear you uh, um, finish out Isaiah. So for me to all of you, God bless you. Keep your hearts centered on Christ. Take care. Hello. So today we come to the end of the study in the book of Isaiah. And um, it has been a great journey. I enjoyed it. And today, my main take from today is God's calling. You know, it's at Isaiah chapter 66, verse 24. You know, God is has stretched out his hand and is calling. And, um, you know, it's high time to heed God's call. And um, it's more of a warning that has been given thrice. And, um, you know... Let he who has ears hear. So, um, you know, it's a repeated warning and, um, you know, a warning to to the wicked. There is no peace for the wicked. There is going to be no peace for the wicked um, when God's judgment and wrath come upon the earth. So here, um, we continue from uh, verse 65, from from chapter 64, sorry. Um, And in chapter 65, at verse 3, you know, we see the Redeemer responds to the remnant now when they raise a question. You know, they ask God, you know, through their prayers, um, are you going to continue um, to judge us? So he says, their sins have not frustrated his promise and purposes concerning the coming kingdom because of the remnant. Um, he's been able to hold on to them. So God still has hope and faith in the other people. And there is a remnant of um, God. This is why um he has not utterly and completely destroyed them so at verse 3 we see the response of the redeemer to the prayers of the remnant um so he gives his reasons for the rejection of the nation during the long period we are currently in today because this has been a long and dark period um there's been so much injustice and you know so many wars going on and this is the reason uh that the blessings were withheld from Israel because of their idolatry and because of their rebelling against God. So chapter 65 verse 3 reads, The people who provoke me to anger continually to my face, who sacrifice in gardens and burn incense on altars of brick. So um, this is God actually responding. And um, he says, you know, the blessings of Israel were withheld from Israel because of idolatry and rebelling against God. Look at the nation Israel today. Um, it's in that particular state it's in today because they, God rejected them because they rejected God first. So we see verse four and five read who sit among the graves and spend the night in the tombs, who eats swine's flesh and the broth of abominable things is in their vessels who say, keep to yourself, do not come near me for I am holier than you. These are smoke in my nostrils, a fire that burns all the day. So here, you know, we see a partial list of the reasons for Israel's rejection, why God actually rejected Israel. So um, they are, you know, breaking God's commandments. God gave them 10 commandments and they are breaking them. And um, he gave them that, uh, you know, he gave 
he gave them these commandments to actually follow. And this is the reason why God um, rejected Israel because they rejected him first and they didn't follow his commandments. And um, in verse 6, it reads, Behold, it is written before me, I will not keep silence, but will repay, even repay into their bosom. So here, um, you know, they walked in pride uh, because they felt they are holier than others. If you look at the Pharisees and, you know, they blasphemed God and their hearts were far from God. You know, they they portrayed this um, religious godliness, but they denied the power thereof. So, you know, their hearts were far from God, even if they were like really religious. So this is why God actually rejected them. So here we come to the... Second division, um, and this is from verses 8 to verse 16, and this is the reservation of a remnant through which the promises are to be fulfilled. So God always had a remnant. God always had, you know, the remnant who are loyal to him. So verse 8 reads, Thus says the Lord, as the new wine is found in the clusters, and one says, do not destroy it, for a blessing is in it. So will I do for my servant's sake, that I may not destroy them all. So here, at verse 8, you know, this means, you know, in spite of their sins, God will not um, exterminate them because of the remnant. Despite of Israel's sin, despite of them disobeying his commandments, he will not destroy them because he has a remnant. You know, just like um, a cluster of grapes in a vineyard that has been passed by. So he's referring to his people in a vineyard and a cluster of grapes, the chosen remnant, those who are faithful to him. So verse 9 reads, I will bring forth descendants from Jacob and from Judah and an heir of my mountains. My elect shall inherit it and my servants shall dwell there. So here, um, you know, there would be a place for the flock so they where they're going to be safe. And that's God's remnants. This is um, God's people who he's talking about, um, his own, um, where he will um, hear, um, it says, the seed out of Jacob, it's, it could refer to Christ, which is Christ actually. And uh, more particularly, it refers to the remnant out of Israel. So they, um, that are saved, that are going to be saved. So God, um, you know, made good on his promises for his remnant. So verse 10 goes on to read, Sharon shall be a fold of flocks and the valley of Archor, a place of herds to lie down for my people who have sought me. So, you know, here there's going to be a place for his flock to actually lie down. So, he's talking about Christ in verse 9. He's talking about um, he will bring forth the descendants, a seed from Jacob, which is Christ. And it, it refers to Christ and it could also refer to the remnants. And they shall, you know, have a safe place for them to actually um, lie down. They will be safe. They will be protected. So, verses 11 and 12 read, But you are those who forsake the Lord, who forgot my holy mountain, who prepare the table for God, and who furnish a drink offering for Menai. Therefore I will number you for the sword, and you shall all bow down to the slaughter, because when I called you, did not answer, 
when I spoke to you, did not hear and did evil before my eyes and chose that in which I do not delight. So here, you know, the reminder of, uh, sorry, the remainder of the nation that went without heeding the word of God. So um, their punishment is awaiting. So this is what God is actually saying, you know, um, you know, the rest of um, the nation Israel, you know, they did not heed God's word. They went on living uh, unfaithfully and, you know, they went on living in, um, in sin and punishment is actually awaiting them, um, you know, in the day of the Lord, when the Lord comes down to establish his kingdom here on earth. So, um, Verse 13 goes on to read, Therefore thus says the Lord God, Behold, my servants shall eat, but you shall be hungry. Behold, my servants shall drink, but you shall be thirsty. Behold, my servants shall rejoice, but you shall be ashamed. So there is a punishment waiting for um, those people who did not heed God's call. Verse 14 goes on to read, Behold, my servants shall sing for joy of heart, but you shall cry for sorrow of heart and wail for grief of spirit. So here... Um, you know, you have a situation where, um, you know, the churches today, you know, there is this bloated membership, this piousness, um, and that's the problem with our churches today. So today there is a church that is going through the great tribulation and it's called the harlot. So we can see this in Revelations chapter 17. Um, you know, the churches today are just an organization, um, that don't belong to Christ. So, um, you know, there is a destruction um, and this religious piousness, so they will be taken out before the tribulation. God's people will be taken out through the great tribulation. So if I go to Revelations chapter 17, um, it reads, uh, then one of the seven angels who had the seven balls came and talked with me saying to come, um, saying to me, come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on my waters. With whom the kings of the earth committed fornication and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with wine of her fornication. She, he, so he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast which was full of names and blasphemy having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication and on her forehead the name was written the mystery or the, the name was written mystery Bab babylon the great the mother of harlots and the abomination of the earth so here um, at verse 14, we see, um, you know, churches today, um, you know, with a bloated church membership, you know, with this religious piousness and all, but they don't have God in their hearts and it's just an organization, um, that's out there to just deceive people and make money, you know? So here it says, behold, my servants shall sing for joy of heart, but they shall cry of sorrow of heart and wail of grief. So here, um, you know, today, you know, the church is going through the great tribulation and, um, and that great tribulation is actually called the harlot. Like we saw in revelations chapter 17. 
um, and you know the church is just it's just a shell. It's an organization, you know, with people who feel they are actually holier than um, everyone. And it's high time we turned to the true worship of God and, you know, carried God in our hearts today. It's time we studied the word and because the word was made, is made wisdom unto us. You know, the word of God is, is wisdom and Christ was made wisdom unto us. So uh, dropping down to verse 17 and 18, it says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered to come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem as a rejoicing and her people are, and the people a joy. So here we see um, this is the third division. And uh, revelations, and it's, it's a revelation of the new heavens. And, um, you know, it's going to be the full, bless, the full kingdom's blessings. So we have the creation of a new heaven and earth that proceeds chronologically. So the setup of the, it's, it's like a setup of the kingdoms of what's going to come in a chronological order. So if examined further, we see that, you know, the remnants has already entered into the kingdom. Um, and, you know, these are, you know, the prophets and all that we are reading about. So others have been judged and don't enter the kingdom. So Christ made it clear in Matthew chapter 25, verse 31, that um, when the Son of Man comes, in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from goats. So here, um, you know, th we're going to have a creation of a new earth and a new um, heaven. Uh, which is going to proceed in chronological order and, um, you know, it's going to be the setup of the kingdom. So, you know, when Christ comes, he's going to separate the sheep from the goat, you know, as stated in Matthew 25 verse 31. So at the end of the millennial reign of Christ, you know, after um, the end of the final rebellion, um, then we will have the creation of the new heavens and the new earth. So, um you know, changes are made um, on earth at the millennium. So there won't be deserts anymore. The deserts are going to blossom as a rose. And the world we live in will be destroyed by fire. And God will destroy. And he's going to create a new earth. So um, at verse 18, we see Isaiah is speaking to the millennial and the eternal blessings. So the millennial kingdom will, you know, blend into the eternal kingdom. So the millennial kingdom... Um, is, you know, a time of judgment when God will come and actually judge and separate the goats from the sheep. That's what we see here at verse 18. So he says, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem as a rejoicing and the people a joy. So there's going to be joy, you know, after that uh, millennial rule, uh, when Christ will come um, and judge Christ is coming to set up his kingdom and he will judge, separate the, 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 the goats from the sheep and cast um, the wicked into um, eternal, the pit of eternal fire. So at verse 19 here, it says, I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. 
the voice of the weeping shall no longer be heard in her nor the voice of crying so here you know jerusalem will be a city of joy and it's not like that today in jerusalem there's a wailing wall you see um you know an arab entering into the mosque in, with a somber face and he comes out with a somber face you know there's just no joy people go into the temples and you know with a sad somber outlook and they come out with a sad somber outlook so today you know there is no joy in jerusalem verse 20 goes on to read um no more shall an infant from there live but a few days nor an old man who is not fulfilled his days for the child shall die 100 years but the sinner being 100 years shall be accursed so here um you know another change that's going to happen um when Christ comes how we'll tell in the new millennial um, it's the, longe the longevity of life, like, um, you know, the patriarchs that um, were back in the days, in the times of Moses and Abraham, they lived like, you know, um, over a hundred years. And this is going to be a feature of the kingdom. Verse 21 goes on to read, um, they shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruits. So here, you know, prop, there's going to be property and prosperity. This is also another feature of the kingdom. Verse 22 reads, they shall not build uh, and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree, so shall be the days of my people. And my elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. So here we see um, they will be permanency and stability. You know, there's not going to be, um, you know, inequality and injustice. So this is also another feature of the kingdom. So dropping down to verse 25, it reads, The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. The dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. So here, you know, the animals of the world will um you know the animal world will actually change the law of the jungle that claw the bloody claw uh will disappear and um you know i like the example that dr jv mcgee gave you know um where some somebody was asking you know we all know lions don't eat straw how's that possible and the response was you create a lion and um and i will show you that it can actually eat straw so, you know, you cannot question, you know, what our creator says. Our creator has promised and, um, you know, there is a purpose and he has made uh, a promise to us that in the new earth, uh, when earth is made anew, you know, uh, these are the features, this is what's going to happen. You know, that particular death curse on earth is going to be lifted and, you know, the law of the jungle, um, the claw and the law of the jungle, the bloody claw, of the jungle will disappear so now we move on to chapter 66 which is the last chapter of isaiah and we see the panor panorama of prophecy the kingdom has come so from verses 1 to 13 the lord designated as a creator a ruler a redeemer a regenerator so at verse 1 of chapter 66 it reads thus says the lord heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool where is the house that you will build me and where is a place of my rest so here we see earth is just a footstool for god and um any temple built for him on earth can't contain him because you know god is too big to comprehend 
um, you know, heaven is just his, or earth is just his footstool. So uh, verse 2 goes on to read, For all those things my hand has made, and all those things exist, says the Lord. But on this one I will look on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. So here God who created, you know, the this universe um, and above and beyond, it's, um, he dwells with the humble and the poor and the contrite spirit. And this is when the meek shall inherit the earth. And yeah, they will just inherit everything. And they will rule with Christ. So verse 3 goes on to read, He who kills a bull as... Um, sorry, let me just read that. He who kills a bull um, is as if he slays a man. He who sacrifices a lamb as if... He breaks a dog's neck. He who offers a grain offering as if he offers swine's blood. He who burns incense as if he blesses an idol. Uh, just as they have chosen their own ways and their souls delights and their soul delights in their abomination. So I will choose their delusions. So here, um, at verse 3, you know, Sacrificial, the sacrificial system will be dispensed of after the millennia. So, you know, offering an ox without a spiritual comprehension was the same as murder. This is what Christ is saying. So everything in eternity must point to Christ, must be for a reason and must point to um, Christ. Dropping down to verse 5, it says, Hear my word, hear the word of the Lord, who, you who tremble at, the, at his word, your brethren who hated you, who casts you out of my name, who casts you out uh, for my name's sake said, let the Lord be glorified that we may see your joy, but they shall be ashamed. So here, you know, God will make the distinction between the true and the false, the real and the fake. You know, all those people who walk around with this religious piousness and all, you know, God is going to separate the goats from the sheep, as in uh, stated in Matthew 25, verse 31. So verse 6 goes on to read, The sound of noise from the city, the voice of the temple, the voice of the Lord who fully repays his enemies. So here God will finally deal with the enemies of Israel that um, were his enemies. Verse 7 goes on to read, Before she has, she was in travail she gave birth before her pain came she delivered a male child so here you know the great tribulation was a time of travail and israel went through it after christ was actually born you know this was when christ was rejected and um you know there was the roman empire and you know the nation israel actually went through that tribulation period and uh, christ is not yet here so we're still in those dark days so, um, dropping down to verse 9, it reads, Shall I bring to the time of birth and not cause delivery, says the Lord? Shall I, shall I who caused delivery shut up the womb, says the Lord? So here, at verse 9, God will see that all his... Um, all he has promised is accomplished, you know. The 144,000 that was sealed at the beginning of the Great Tribulation will come through it. So God will see uh, will see all his promises and purposes through it all. Um, you know, in that time of the Great Tribulation, that 144,000 that, um, uh, that were chosen and sealed 
will come through it, will come out from the great tribulation. So we come to the last section, and the Lord dis and this section, the Lord decides the destiny of the saved and the lost. So here at verse 18, drop down all the way, it says, For I know their works and their thoughts. It shall be that I will gather all nations and tongues, and they shall come and see my glory. So here, you know, it's... At Matthew 25, verse 31, Jesus mentioned that, um, Jesus actually mentioned this. He's going to separate the, the sheep from the goats. So here, um, if I just read quickly through it again, it says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another as the shepherd divides his sheep from goats so here um you know christ actually mentioned this and this is going to be a time when um a lot of gentiles will be saved um as well as israel the nations will come to worship in israel so here it's going to be a time of great revival so dropping down all the way to verse 22 it reads for as the new heavens and the new earth which i make shall remain before me says the lord so shall your descendants and your name remain so here at verse 22 god's purposes and promises for israel are you know eternal as uh, the new heavens and earth so um god is going to fulfill his purposes and his promises so dropping down to verse 23 it says it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another and from one sabbath to another all the flesh shall come to worship before me says the lord so here the redeemed of all ages will worship god throughout eternity and this you know it's the important business of the eternity you know we're going to rejoice and worship the lord god for he is our redeemer he is our generator he was our creator he is our ruler so moving on to verse 24 it reads and they shall go forth and look upon the corpses of men who have transgressed against me for their worm does not die and their fire is not quenched and they shall be an abhorrence to all flesh so here there is no peace for the wicked you know it's gonna be an unending pain and fire there's just gonna be no peace there is no peace for the wicked um either now or in eternity you know the wicked have no peace right now you know they do something evil and you know they, they can't sleep well they just they're troubled and uh, hell is eternal and this is a repetition thrice repeated warning that let he who has ears hear because you know god is calling and it's time to turn to god and it's time to heed god's call today you know it may be today that god's knocking on your heart you know heed and answer god's call because it's not a pretty sight in hell it's hell is eternal um so yeah this is today's teaching we have come to the end of the book of Isaiah. It has been a great, great study. I have learned so much. I hope you too learned, picked out um, a couple of things. And um, yeah, thank you all for listening in and um, hoping you join us as we move on through the Bible bus to um, the book of First Thessalonians next week. Thank you all for listening in. God bless and bye-bye.